Welcome back, fellow podcasters. It's Freedom Friday, and time for another episode of Jeff Fry, an American conservative. I think today I'd like to spend a few minutes in talking about this Paris Climate Accord, if we can. Because we have been recently told that candidate, past Vice President Joe Biden if he were to ultimately become our next president, within the first 100 days, one of the things he would do would be to put the United States back into this Paris Agreement. So the first thing I did is I went to the website, which talks about the actual Paris Agreement, and under the section which says Essential Elements, and I'd like to read this to you. It says... The Paris Agreement builds upon the Convention and for the first time brings all nations into a common cause to undertake ambitious efforts to combat climate change and adapt to its effects with enhanced support to assist developing countries to do so. Now that sounds pretty good and certainly everybody would want to be jumping on board on something like that. Then it says that the actual aim of this agreement is by trying to keep a global temperature rise during this century well below 2 degrees Celsius. And the actual goal is to try to reduce this 2 degree increase every 100 years down to 1.5 degrees for this particular 100 year period or a reduction of one-half of a degree. And in addition, they would like to be able to strengthen the ability of countries around the world to deal with the impacts of climate change. Presumably that would be more storms, more hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, whatever whatever science is uh, blaming on this climate change taking place. And it wishes to push large amounts of monies to developing countries and what they call the most vulnerable countries so that they can make this national objectives for their own countries. Now, this agreement took actually went into force on November the 4th, 2016. And at that time, there were 55 countries which signed on to this. And out of those 55 countries, it was estimated that that included about 55% of the total greenhouse gas emissions, which is what they use as their instruments of measurement, into our atmosphere. Now, as part of this ratification, each country was supposed to give their own assessment as to what they felt they could contribute by reduction into their greenhouse gases. And based on that, every couple of years, this would be benchmarked by this commission to see how well they were doing based on whatever they thought they would be able to be reducing. Now, since we were bringing in developing nations and such, 
monies needed to be raised so that these nations could be helped financially to help achieve their goals. Now, the three largest financial contributors at that time was, number one, the United States. Probably no secret to that. Or They pledged $3 billion a year. Japan was number two at $1.5 billion a year. And the United Kingdom at $1.2 billion. Interestingly enough, we're missing things like Germany, Spain, France... After all, it is the Paris Accord. Any countries in the Middle East? And that's not necessarily that they didn't contribute, but they were not contributing monies anywhere near the levels that these top three have been. And what about China? China, by far, belches the most greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and yet we don't see them on that list. We certainly don't see that list uh, accumulating to anything close to that $3 billion a year that the United States has pledged. And the reason? Well, it seems that China was given a pass that they didn't have to take any steps until the year 2030. Therefore, not having to put any money in at this time. So for 14 years... Seemingly, the rest of the world, at least the ones that had signed up initially, they have to start playing by these rules and putting money into this uh, climate accord, but not having to do anything to 2030. And, and they're not the only ones. India, which is another one of the top producers of greenhouse gases, also doesn't have to do anything until 2030. And you might notice that we didn't mention anything about Russia. Well, it seems that Russia didn't agree to, and it was reluctant, by the way, but they didn't agree to join this thing until 2019. And I couldn't find any information on what they pledged to, to help pay into this thing, which leads me to believe that maybe they didn't pledge anything. And I want it to be known that Russia is the fourth leading emitter of these gases in the world. So when President Trump announced that he was going to be withdrawing from this climate accord, which again took place in 2016, which of course was under President Obama's time period, of which he paid a $1 billion from the United States. As further note, President Obama submitted the second half of that, or the remainder of that $3 billion, three days before President Trump was inaugurated. And that extra $2 billion, that came out of the State Department's Economic Support Fund, or the ESF. And that ESF has monies which basically are for the security of counterterrorism, humanitarian projects, and advancing political interests in countries such as Iraq, South Sudan, Colombia, and Afghanistan. So when we start hearing about how President Trump took monies from other areas of the government to fund building that immigration wall, don't, don't think that President Obama was squeaky clean in finding ways to get things funded for what perhaps Congress had not originally chosen that monies to be directed for. But let's get back to why the President withdrew the United States from this uh, 
Accord. There was a study performed by the National Economic Research Associates. And when that came out, talking about the compliance and the terms of this Paris Accord, because it took a little bit of time, because it was thrown at everybody last minute, it concluded that about 2.7 million jobs would be lost by the United States 2025. There would be 440,000 fewer manufacturing jobs, and that would include automobile jobs and, and under other industries. And again, all that was going to be the immediate lossing uh, just in the first five years. And if you looked further into this study, it would say that by the year 2040, which would be roughly 25 years once this was put into place, the paper industry would be down 12%. This is the United States now. The paper industry would be down 12%. Cement industry down 23%. Iron and steel down 38%. Coal down 86%. Natural gas down 31%. When adding things up, that would come close to $3 trillion that our gross domestic product would be forfeiting. And that sort of would correlate to household incomes of approximately going down $7,000 per year. But some of these other items in this agreement doesn't quite make it fair to the United States. As an example, China. They would actually be able to increase their emissions for the next 13 years, which means they can frankly do whatever they want for 13 years, but not us. When you go over to India, India would actually be receiving billions and billions of dollars in foreign aid so that they could become a developed country. A developed country? Give me a break. They, they've got nuclear weapons over there. And I believe they're the largest capitalistic country outside the United States. This agreement basically blocks the development of clean coal. In the United States. And yet, China, heck, they'd be allowed to build hundreds of additional coal plants. So we can't build the plants, but they can. It has in that agreement that India can double the amount of its coal production up until the year 2020. So when President Trump was saying that it's at disadvantageous for the United States, just taking a look at coal in particular, just coal, this agreement doesn't eliminate coal jobs. What it does do, it transfers jobs out of the United States and over to places like China and India and all these developing countries which currently aren't putting the same levels of gases into the air. And I didn't really mean to put China in with that because China is the largest producer of gases into our atmosphere. But for whatever reason, China is being given a pass, remember that, for 30 years. It's just not explained. As was quickly discovered by Donald Trump, our president, this agreement purely does not help the economy of the United States of America. And it's really not doing a service to cleaning up world levels of gases into the atmosphere. Rather, it's just kind of redistributing it. 
And isn't this kind of what we're all upset about, this globalism of redistribution of wealth? Why does it always have to take place with the United States? Because we currently have the wealth, and it doesn't seem fair that the rest of the world can't have it. And now they're including China, again, the second largest economy in the world, and yet they need help? Fortunately, our president recognized this was a bad deal, and he pulled us out. And, and let me tell you what, it has nothing to do with cleaning up the atmosphere. I think, and we, maybe we can do this on a different podcast, but our water is cleaner now, our air is cleaner now than it was when President Trump got in there. And it's doing it because we're finding ways of processing our energy sources on a cleaner basis. And we didn't need the climate accord to help do this. And we also didn't need to spend billions of dollars to other nations so that they could take jobs from our country. In conclusion with this study that was done, they came out and they said that if, if the Paris Agreement was implemented in its totality and everybody complied, all the nations that signed up said they were able to reduce their emissions by what they said they would do, this report said that it would only produce a two-tenths of one degree global temperature by the year 2100, which means instead of the Earth increasing its temperature by two degrees, it would only be increased by 1.8 degrees. Is it worth it? I don't know. I suppose one could warrant that uh, anything to help save our planet is worth going after. On the other hand, for hundreds and hundreds of years, we've been increasing the temperature of our planet by two degrees every hundred years. And I want everybody to remember that hundreds of thousands of years ago, probably a million years ago, our planet was totally covered with water. So it's not like we haven't had rising waters throughout the history of the Earth. We were. But, but then the Ice Age came, and it kind of changed things around, of which it took millions of years to recover from that. So is it really climate change, or is it the Earth trying to reclaim itself to where it started from when we were originally designated as the Blue Planet? This is just food for thought. If Biden gets in as our elected next president and he wants to get us back into that climate accord, at least now you perhaps have a little bit more information to go on. I want to thank you for joining into our podcast and putting us over a thousand listens for the last week or so. I can only hope that you'll help share this podcast with others to keep increasing the conservative voice of reason. I am Jeff Fry, an American conservative. I'll be back next week with more to talk about. In the meantime, keep us, U.S., the United States, in mind. Thank you.